You're listening to the Player Layer Podcast, and I'm super happy to have with me Nicholas Fournier, who is just a fantastic game designer. He's um, currently working on a game called Megapulse, which will be out on Kickstarter if it's not already out by the time this is up. It is a racing game, but not what you would imagine when you hear racing game. It's a racing game for those who don't play racing games, and it's one which I enjoyed so much. He compares it to Mario Kart, and it is... Uh, I, I I can completely understand why, because there's so much player interaction um, that I, I think if you're somebody who likes um, kind of high interaction, but also you're racing, uh, but in a very clean kind of hand building um, style, I think you should see it. Just the game design was something that really, really uh, impressed me, and I loved the game so much. Uh, so you should definitely check it out. Uh, this conversation, to me, was very enjoyable because just Nicholas is a fantastic designer and you can really see that he knows what he's talking about um so yeah i'll leave you to it thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode Yeah, sure. So uh, basically, uh, it's if Wipeout, uh, F-Zero, Mario Kart, and even Tron had a baby as a board game. (laughs) So we are trying to do a futuristic racing game with tons of actions. You can shoot people, place bombs. There's a nitro you can charge and discharge later. Uh, There's a bunch of boosts on the track you're trying to get. Uh, And there's like upgrade cards, hand building, um, all that crazy stuff. So we're really trying to... um, do a more dynamic action-packed style um uh, than other racing games out there uh and there's also some kind of simultaneous action selection so that's the the basic premise behind it yeah i felt like um I, i've played the game quite a bit ago so like i'm not up to date to the, the the way that it is right now but it felt like a very um clean game to me and like mechanically it felt really good um how did you uh, how how did you start the process, and is this your first um, attempt at game design? Uh, so I I've been doing game design like all my life, right? So that that's the only thing I've been doing since I was a kid was just designing games. Um, and I my day job right now is a game designer for a small studio here in Montreal. So we do some board games. Now we're wor- working more on a video game project, uh, but. And before that, I was a graphic designer. So mm-hmm. I, I have like some experience uh, gathered from these past experiences in project. Uh, but Megapulse is my first um, solo game uh, and self-publishing, uh, self-published game, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be my first experience uh, doing Kickstarter alone. It's going to be awesome. And um, yeah, so and you were talking about like the the, the process, right, of the, mm-hmm. the game? Yep. Um, so <laughs> basically, uh, it, I usually start because uh, there's a, a huge debate in the game design community, which is, do you start with a theme or do you start with the mechanic? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I usually start with neither of those. I start with a moment. So what I'm trying to get is, uh, a feeling of what the climax of a game would feel like. So are the players excited, anxious? Are they taking a risk? Are they trying to make a difficult decision? Uh, is there like some kind of heavy social um, 
things going on, uh, the smiles, the, 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 the heart pumping. And I try to associate these feelings with a small, uh, clear idea. So for Megapulse, I just had, I, I'm not a racing game guy. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't really enjoy like cars and, and engines and tires and all that stuff. Um, but, but everyone enjoys Mario Kart, right? Even if yeah. you're not a car guy, you, you kind of enjoy Mario Kart because it's all about the interactivity less than about the race, right? You get all these upgrades, there's cute characters and it's colorful and there's a bunch of interaction of like, you can just throw bananas in, the, in front of your friend and then you just, you're just all there laughing. So in Megapulse, uh, the premise was um, the, uh, was it the curve mechanics, the losing traction. So yeah, in, in these curves, as you're uh, sliding out, you're uh, going to be at some point grinding on a wall and that's going to be dangerous, going to lose health, right? Mm -hmm. And the choice here in Megapulse is that usually racing games ask you to slow down in curves to prevent damage. Um, in Megapulse, we have the side thrust cards, which allows you to move sideways. So instead of going slower, you actually just have to move faster and faster. And at some point, just in, in the curve, move sideways and keep going. So that mechanic of uh, sliding out in curves and choosing to go faster and take damage or move sideways and keep going was the basic inspiration. And from there, uh, we kept adding stuff to make it feel uh, like a racing game, like a futuristic racing game. So uh, like the theme was added on top and the mechanics, uh, the card selection, the bombs, all that stuff, the upgrades were added afterwards to make it feel uh, like more exciting around that central uh, sliding out mechanic in the curves. It's really cool that you decide on um, focusing on, on, on the moment. I think that's... It's a really good way, at least with like my, in, in my experience as well, I find that usually that's, and I talked with like uh, Sham Phillips, for example, who talks about like setting instead of um, theme. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I, I think that's a good way to start it. When you mentioned Mario Kart, I immediately thought of something that I really had been meaning to ask you because of, because it's a racing game. And I realized with racing games, one of the probably main issues that you need to address is like some somebody like running away and being really quick and i think mario kart does that really um has a, a really good solution to that which is like their catch-up mechanic or rubber banding is like rewarding the last player so that that because a racing game i think is most interesting when you're near each other right because that's when you get to interact mm -hmm. and that's how did you solve that um issue or was that something that you needed to address yeah, that's a good question because uh, the the worst part of any racing game is runaway leaders. Mm -hmm. So when you see someone just like, uh, like outrunning you and uh, like lapping you entirely, uh, you, and you don't have any reasonable way to think that you're gonna win this game, then there's just no point anymore. So we were really trying to. Uh, make it easy for players to catch up actually make it easier to catch up than than uh running away so we have a few things to help that first of all uh the card play so you have a ultra fire card to shoot people in front of you and that automatically hits so if you choose to shoot people in front of you they take damage, right? Uh, but if you want to attack players behind you, you have to place a bomb, and then that bombs, uh, you just have to hope that you place it well, that you hinder players enough to slow them down or, or to take the bomb, uh, but it's not guaranteed. So it's harder to deal damage to people behind you than uh, ahead of you. 
then uh, usually in racing games, they tend to avoid chaos. So they make it so that you change the turn order at, at the end of every round. So whoever, whoever is first in the race becomes the first player. So that way the first goes first. So you, you make uh, you create some distance between players and then the one behind him goes and, and, and so on. Um, but that means that there's no, not really any collisions. Uh, and it's usually uh, done to avoid that kind of chaos. In Megapulse, uh, the turn order is fixed until someone changes it uh, by playing the Cybergrade card. That means that um, the first player can get bumped by a bunch of players who played before him on that round. So since the turn order can be changed by the players, I can play a card to say, oh, this turn I'm going to be first player. I can surprise you, crash into you, shoot you, do all that crazy stuff. So being ahead is actually a vulnerability because players can uh, <laughs> bump into you, let's say. Uh, as being last is actually some kind of uh, a safe spot. And that uh, doesn't really, is not that apparent while you play, but it's all the, all the game design is centered around uh, making it easier to catch up than uh, running away. And then we have our catch up mechanic. So if everything else fails, uh, each plot pilot has a special ability. So whichever color I chose, uh, let's say red, blue, or yellow, whatever, uh, I can add to that a pilot. So I can mix and match them together. And if I choose, let's say, the trickster, I have a grappling hook. Awesome. Uh, I can use a grappling hook, but if I'm further behind in the race, it's going to get stronger and stronger, and I won't have to, to pay the cost to activate it anymore. So uh, I'm kind of incentivized to uh, use that catch-up mechanic uh, if I'm too far behind. Uh, and then if I catch up enough to you, if I'm like five spaces behind you, I don't have these bonuses anymore. Uh, so then from there, it's up to me to actually catch up. So that's the kind of the rubber band effect we're talking about. So um, the, the sweet spot is five spaces between everyone. So uh, the catch up is to make sure that everyone stays be uh, in that five zones range. And then the other mechanics are meant so that you still have to earn your victory. You still have to make wise choices to pass the first player after catching up. Uh, but there won't ever be some kind of crazy runaway leader. From what I remember of the game, uh, I think you had addressed that really well because it just it it felt good being behind because uh, you got a little bit more powerful and, and you were able to keep players at like at the <laughs> optimal distance without <laughs> without it without it feeling like you know with, without you feeling bad as the first player. I think that's um, that's like the difficult bit is like getting it so that the first player isn't like well you know. Um, that kind of sucks because I'm not like earning this. No, you're earning it, but it's just the other players also getting a bonus. Um, which yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, which I see in a lot of games, like um, when when people try to do the opposite and they try to kind of give give you something neg give something negative to the first player instead of like something positive to another player. It's like effectively it's the same thing, but one of them just actually feels bad. Uh, well, just, <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want people feeling bad while they're playing the mm -hmm. game. Um, and, and that's what we call uh, loss aversion. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know loss aversion? Should um, I uh, resume? Yeah, no, it? No, well, yeah, explain it, please, especially for the listeners as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically, loss aversion is the <laughs> kind of a psychology, psychological science behind the fact that uh, losing, losing something, uh, let's say I lose $10, uh, feels worse than earning that same thing mm -hmm. feels good. 
okay so the the, the emo emotional balance is more disrupted if i lose something than if i gain that same thing so effectively the result is the same uh there's a difference of ten dollars in my bank account but losing that ten dollars uh is gonna have more impactful uh more impact right mm -hmm. so in a game that's really important because Sometimes you do want players to feel the loss aversion to uh, make, let's say, a risk more uh, important, uh, to make players uh, fear some kind of uh, consequence. Uh, but sometimes if you want a game to feel good, if you want to remove some kind of negative feelings, you have to uh, play with loss aversion to give things to players instead of removing things from them. Uh, so that's what we did with the, the death system. In our game so usually uh people assume that if you like die in a game um either you're eliminated or you have to like lose a turn to repair or something like that um and basically that's what we had at the beginning so you you lose a turn you repair and that's you, you do nothing else so that allowed players that killed you to move forward and and create some distance between them. all right but it felt really bad for you and there was no real incentive for other players to shoot you uh, because then, like, if someone else kills you, then that's okay. I, I, I focus my effort on racing and someone else does the job to kill, to kill you. So I don't gain anything personally from killing you. Um, but when we uh, <laughs> use that system, we realized, like, how bad it felt and we changed things a bit. So now when you die you actually can still play your turn. So you can still play your cards and everything, uh, but there's just a small portion of your turn dedicated to repairing. And that's going to be on the same turn that you broke down. Uh, you don't lose anything much. Um, the only thing that resets is your speed. So your speed goes down to zero, but that's one thing that's easy to to uh, to play, to, to go again up and, and start racing. Uh, but to balance that out, because now like dying is not that bad anymore, like why should you kill players? Uh, we instead gave rewards to other players. So let's say I deal three damage to you and you die. Then I get three frenzy tokens, which help me move forward. Uh, so each token is worth one movement. Uh, so there's a, now a real incentive to shoot player because the more I shoot players, the more reward I get. Uh, so personally, I want to shoot players. Uh, and in the end, these tokens combined with the death being less important makes the same difference in the distance between players. But like all the negative feelings are gone and now there's just good feelings. Uh, so that was really important. That was like one way we implemented uh, Lassa version. Uh, there's a great, uh, if uh, game designers listen to us, uh, there's a great talk on the YouTube for, from a GDC mm -hmm. uh, that talks about loss aversion. I highly re recommend it. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the GDC um, talks are just great <laughs> in general. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I think I've, I've heard one story about like World of Warcraft, how they would um, they would give... At first, they wanted to make players basically play less hours or something like that and basically what they would do is like they'd give you less and less xp the more time you've been locked on and i don't mm -hmm. remember why that was but because i read it a long time ago but then they realized that instead of doing that what they should do is just give them a bonus for the first couple of hours and then like cut it off mm -hmm. um and that's like it's effectively it's the exact same thing you're getting the exact same <laughs> amount of xp but it's like it's not, uh, why are you punishing me for it playing more? It feels different. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm being rewarded for just logging on, you know? Exactly. And yeah. that, that makes all the difference, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a funny, like, psychological um, <laughs> trick. 
<laughs> exactly. Speaking of, what would you say? Because you you say that you've got like experience with video games um, versus board games. Do you think that the process? Because I haven't, I, I don't have a lot of um, people who are who are in both like sides of or like both industries. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think that they overlap, and how much do you think the the, the similarities are, and like what are the like bigger differences? Uh. It's actually quite impressive how different they are. Uh, there's some overlap, of course, um, when talking about like the the main mechanics. Like uh, in, in board games, everything is simplified. You're limited by the components. You're limited by the complexity of the rules. So there's no computer uh, doing all the math behind. So everything math related is very limited in board games. Uh, so you have tokens tracks on some boards uh and that's basically it uh if you want to do some kind of uh random effect you have to roll dice or draw some cards uh and then these cards better have some dual purpose to them because if you just draw them to to do some random thing uh then it's it's not worth it because you pay for that cardboard right Mm -hmm. so every decision matters in a board game and it Compared to video games, it kind of feels like a minimalistic design because you want players to be welcome, to have a welcoming experience, to be uh, the rules be easily read and understood, and you want to share that social um, that social experience with other players as easily as possible. Compared to video games, where it's all about uh, keeping the player engaged through various systems that interlock with each other. So these systems can have some kind of very easy, uh, easily understandable uh, base to them. Uh, but then they can you can add some crazy depth to them to make uh, more engaged players uh, pass some time to master them. Um, so that's one uh, real difference is that you there's... A bunch of math involved, a bunch of um, uh, technical limitations in the video game as well, because uh, everything comes to a cost. Because it takes so much time to implement the mechanic, as in board game, you just add some numbers on a card on the cardboard. <laughs> so um, each have some drawback, each have some perks. Uh, but the way you're spending your time as a game designer in a video game is going to be uh, at the beginning <laughs> really more about uh, like de- designing you know, those big systems, like how uh, in a survival game, how you're going to be crafting things, how you're going to be gathering resources, fighting. And that kind of feels like a board game design. And then when you get uh, in more details of the video game, you're just talking about numbers, you're just talking about um, um, all stats, perks, all that stuff. And that feels uh, much more... Uh, on the war game side of game design, of war mm-hmm. game design. Uh, but if you're doing uh, modern board games, then uh, that's where your experience differ in the minimalistic uh, way. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the times people don't realize that in a board game, you have to be the one, you have to be the computer. You have to be the one that's actually physically doing that upkeep. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen a lot of games like in playtesting that are like, basically you're you're just doing upkeep and you've got a lot of um you know like with something that like in video games you can do a lot is like passive income which you can do in board games and a lot of the times it works but sometimes like those um actions that can like routinely happen like very easily in 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 video games I, i find can be things that people potentially forget and you have to keep that in mind and that like if mm-hmm. if, if people aren't remembering to do it then that also comes with a negative feeling right because it's like you yeah, know, you're yeah. making you're ba- making somebody feel kind of stupid. Like, oh, I forgot to do that three turns ago, and 
Like, I guess if it's a solo mm-hmm. game, <laughs> I always tell myself when I play solo games, like, yeah, it's okay, it's a solo game, I cheated a little, that's fine. But um, otherwise, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like mm-hmm. I've, the game has totally changed and I realize now that I was supposed to, you know, um, do something. And, and actually, a lot of a lot of um, that, I think, comes from graphic design as well, right? Because you... Yeah, yeah. Where it, to it's set a those marriage reminders? of the two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Graphic design and game design are hand-in-hand hand making the experience clear and understandable. Uh, the more automatic processes you have in a board game, the more people will forget them or the more weight it will add, add to the, like the experience in general. Mm-hmm. So usually you're trying to have everything uh, like being a player action. So the player does something to earn that income every turn or the player has to take that action to resolve some kind of uh, round effect. Uh, that makes it easier for them to remember because it's like actually them taking the action. If they forget, it's not something that you have to uh, to like try to <laughs> recreate. Like, oh, I forgot to take my income last turn. Let's yeah. say I, I gain it right now. No, you just forgot to take that action, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of that comes to design by subtraction, uh, which is trying to remove everything that isn't part of the core experience and everything that uh, is kind of clumsy in the game design and also uh, dual purpose design. So one action or one thing or one component or one idea is a solution to many problem or mechanic that interacts with many, many things. Um, so that it's, a, it's, it's really about also by about player psychology, how players think and interact with the physical components. Um, that's why I love board game design, uh, personally, more than video game design, because uh, trying to, as a designer, do some minimalistic stuff with the physical limitations you have is really uh, fascinating to me. Yeah, it's, it's much more interesting, I find, to work with like some type of restriction. And I think that's yeah. also the case with, you. I, I'm sure that's the case with video games, though I don't have as much experience. And I actually haven't played, I, I don't play as much video games though I used to play a lot as uh, growing up, especially. Um, but like some, sometimes I find when, when you try and um, like make a really, for, for example, one thing that I see very often is boards that are way too big because, because somebody <laughs> yeah. wants to make an epic experience and they're like, epic means big, right? And then you, you have to realize that you need to kind of populate that big thing so it's not just moving around because then you know, moving around becomes kind of tedious. And then, you know, and um, and, and <laughs> yeah. when I think about it, at least from what I've seen in like those big open world games, you, sometimes you have that same problem. You have like zones that, you know, it's it, it, they aren't as interesting as you could make it when you just cut, cut out a lot of that and um, mm-hmm. just sh- shove a lot of action into a, a, a little uh, smaller thing. Um, it's crazy how board game design in that sense can influence video game design uh because if you come from the board game uh medium and you try to start designing video games you'll have those kind of uh limitations in your head and those concerns as you're creating the game and when you look at games like slate aspire mm. or um games that are like um, board game like the, uh, <laughs> yeah or, or even the uh the one um the video minimalistic one um, I, uh, Into the Breach, is that the, the, the I name? Have, I haven't played that one, but I've played a lot of plays this <laughs> <laughs> the, These are kind of board game inspired in a sense, and you can feel it. You can feel how they try to make it like um, they, they uh, implemented some restrictions on themselves while designing the game, make it as tight uh, and concise as possible, 
and those games are the games I personally enjoyed the most because <laughs> the other big games can be fun if you're invested like 200 hours in them, uh, but they're less welcoming <laughs> when you sit down just to learn a new game. Uh, video games can be intimidating if they don't exercise restraint. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Actually, with with you, I know that you've got a modular board, and you can set up different tracks. And could you talk about um, kind of how that affects the pacing of the game, or like does it affect the pacing, and what that adds to the to the experience, and why you chose to to have that? Yeah. So um, in a bunch of racing games, you have just like one board with one track, and on the other side, there's maybe a second track if you're lucky. Uh, but one, uh, what Rallyman GT did is really interesting. They have this uh, modular board with hexagonal tiles, and you can create your own track. And you have this track booklet when you can see all kinds of different tracks there that are available to, for for you to create. Right. So we uh, we did a similar approach. Uh, where we have these track tiles that you can uh, mix and match together to create some crazy tracks. And there's actually, I think, uh, 32 different track tiles in the box, but you only need like 12 or 14 to create a track. So you have so much of, of them uh, in the box uh, with a track booklet that helps you uh, navigate through like uh, about uh, 30 or 40 different pre-made tracks. Um, and because of that uh, modularity to the board, you can create all crazy stuff. You can create a small track that will uh, play in about 25 minutes. That's what we have at the Gen Con demo. That's just a small track. Uh, or you can just uh, try to use as many tiles as possible and do a big, big race. Uh, and because you can do one, two, or three laps, then you can kind of decide how long you want the game to be. Um, so the game will still feel the same. It will still feel as... Uh, like as concise and light uh but you will like psychologically psychologically um doing like eight laps on a very very small track like in that mary kart uh double dash map right mm. um or doing something like a crazy adventure of going through a huge track with different features is really awesome uh, on the track book we actually we actually have the time that it takes to do a lap on each track so you can kind of uh predetermine how much time you want to invest in the game and you know for a fact like how long it will take uh, and these tracks allow the allow you to split the track in, in two, join it back together. Uh, we have some track that reduce the the size, so it's why it's uh, more narrow, and you can make it wider again. Um, we have uh, tracks uh, track tiles that allow you to make some more dangerous uh, curves, more longer curves. Um, so there's yeah, the modularity is really exciting, and we, with the stretch goals and the add-ons we have planned for the Kickstarter, uh, <laughs> a bunch more is coming as well yeah awesome and the like the other thing that i mentioned was kind of pacing and i i found that f from my memory of the game one really cool thing was that you reach certain almost like checkpoints in the game where you can like upgrade more and and actually yeah. the game does have a really nice pacing because um because it's not just uh, um the same thing over and over it's like you feel that build up which <coughs> i think is just amazing when you get to see that and if i remember correctly you basically exchange your initial cards um with just better actions that you can do is that right mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that's basically it so we have a, a hand building experience we call it uh when we play uh two or three laps in the, in the race um that is really exciting because as you as you mentioned the pacing was really important to us 
So we wanted every game of Megapulse to end up in a big, crazy uh, last turn with everyone like kind of being able to win on the same turn. Uh, but then it just comes to like whoever prepared best or played their cards better. And uh, so what we have is a at the start of the race, you have your seven cards in hand and everyone has the same seven cards, except each car has one unique one, but they basically the same hand. And you start racing, you start using those cards, you start trying to place bombs, shoot people, crash into each other. And then after the first or second turn, uh, when you're kind of, now I get it, that's the game, right? You cross a checkpoint. And with a checkpoint, you get an upgrade card. And these go into your hand. Sometimes you need to discard something else because uh, sometimes it's just upgraded version of cards you already have. Sometimes it's a completely new card that you have to swap for something else. Um, and so choosing what to let go of, what to add into your hand is really interesting. And these upgrade cards are crazy. So it's not about uh, like, oh, you gain plus one on this or minus one on this. Uh, it's basically new mechanics. So you have the quantum swap, which allows you to swap positions with someone else. Uh, you've got the, the data hack card, which allows you to kind of control someone during their turn. Uh, you have uh, all, all kinds of stuff that... that they're all so different uh and then so from that you can choose your your play style so do you want to play more aggressive do you want to play more defensive uh you have you don't want to like are you a combo player do you want to do some kind of crazy chain combo um and in that sense as you move forward the track you kind of experiment with your build and you can kind of see what works what doesn't and when you pass the next checkpoint you can change something else uh and by the end you have this this hand that you build during the track and the, the last turn is where you're going to spend everything. So we have single-use cards that are way more powerful, but are single-use, right? You have your Nitro Gauge, which will charge up over time, and at some point you can uh, consume it to move a lot of, of spaces. So people will use these cards, the, discharge their Nitro, uh, move all their speed, use their rival tokens, that, uh, sorry, their frenzy tokens that they gain from killing each other. Uh, so that last turn usually, like, people do like 20, 30 spaces on, on one turn and it just blows up. So that pacing of slowly building up, uh, the, 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 the feeling just changing over and over because you, you keep upgrading your hand and then that last turn that just goes into big boom um, is really the pacing we are looking for here. Yeah, and I, I definitely felt that uh, that built up really, really well. I think you've done an awesome job with it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, what are your? Um, you're saying like this is your first like Kickstarter that you're um, doing. Yeah. What What is that process like? Um, how do you deal with marketing? How do you deal with uh, manufacturers? Like everything that's behind, uh, you know, the the stuff that's that's not game design. That's just to, <laughs> to get the game out. Um, yeah. So it, it's almost like a complete second day job <laughs> that I, we could spend in that uh, preparation process because uh, it's way longer than what, than what you initially think, right? Uh, I was thinking of uh, having that game on Kickstarter um, like a year after I first presented it to people, uh, but we were like two years and a half past that <laughs> and and we were finally getting ready and to be fair i could have like six more months to prepare and i i would be more prepared uh but at some point like you have to <laughs> put it out there yeah. so manufacturing wise 
uh, it's just you, you have to quote the game well. So you have to make sure that uh, you have all your component lists uh, ready, all your add-on lists ready, um, materials, sizes, everything, so that you can get an accurate price. And that will help you uh, see like how much you need on Kickstarter and what will the pledge level be. Um, then the distribution process is uh is really a pain <laughs> it's uh it's really complex so we're we'll be partnering up with uh quartermaster logistics uh it they make your life really easier uh you ship the games to them and they make sure that they process every uh kind of tax kind of uh permit needed to deliver in different countries uh they'll make sure that everyone receives their game uh and you don't have to deal with that yourself um and then there's also the kit the, the, the pledge manager right uh, so that people can uh, like add all that stuff uh, <laughs> in the in the, their personal information, and then when everything will be ready, you also need a distribution partner if you want the the, the game to hit retail. So it's all about like partnering up with different uh, partners, <laughs> basically uh, companies that will help you help you through all the process uh, from manufacturing through distribution, through uh, fulfillment of the backers. Uh, so it's a lot of emails uh, on that side, just uh, sending out emails, talking with people. Uh, we met a bunch of cool people at Gen Con as well that uh, offered their service. That's really good. And on the marketing side, um, it really depends if you have money or if you don't. <laughs> so <laughs> you could invest like uh, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 even dollars just in marketing. Uh, and a lot of people are <laughs> investing their life saving on this. Uh, just, just look at Eric Geller with Crescent Cannons. They were doing really great on Kickstarter right now. They raised a bunch of money over their, their funding goal, uh, but they invested so much of their own money uh, to get to that point, right? So what we're trying to do here is kind of an in-between. So we're paying for big stuff like going to Gen Con, going to SN, uh, paying for some preview and review videos uh, that are coming up really soon. People are start, uh, starting to film and shoot photos and all that stuff. Um, and then we do some paid advertisement on Facebook. But all the rest is just uh, organic marketing so we're trying to let people know that the game exists we go on reddit we go on different facebook groups we talk about the game we answer questions um and it's hard to do be, uh, and not look as like someone spamming those groups uh because because <laughs> like at some point you need to let people know about the game but any kind of intrusion any kind of things that feels like you're just wanting to make money of people um will feel dis disingenuine uh, and you don't want that. So uh, it's hard to let people know that, no, I, we just actually like want to know if you're interested. If not, it's okay. <laughs> because we just like, we have to tell people about it. Otherwise, like no one will know about the game. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> for that, I have Devin who helped me immensely. Uh, Devin is a de designer I met on the Board Game Design Lab uh, Facebook group. I played this as his game, Punch Kick Block. It's awesome. Uh, and I helped him a bunch with that. So now he helps me a bunch with uh, Megapulse. And um, he actually <laughs> accepted to join me at Gen Con. So we were both there. It was the first time I met him. Uh, and we're uh, uh, <laughs> kicking ass there. Just uh, presented the game to, uh, I think, 1,500 people during the weekend. It was awesome. Uh, and Devin just helped me so much uh, telling people about the game, posting some marketing content. Because uh, preparing the game... And marketing at the same time, uh, if you have a day job, is a lot of work. So thank God I have him. Yeah, for sure. And also, 
uh, I, I think it's really good that you brought up all, all of that because like I, I, I've had a lot of people kind of um, ask me about how they should kind of hide their game from people and be like, you know, what if somebody tries to take the game and it's, uh, and it's like the, op I, I think you really need to be thinking about the opposite of, you know, even if you've got a really good game, it's still hard to kind of show it because of um, so many pe people who are, you know, making games um, mm -hmm. or cu currently, you know, th th there are a lot of, you know, it's a growing industry, though th there's also uh, more clients. Um, but yeah, with with marketing, you really do, and you really do need to show people that you know it, it's a it's it's a genuine like uh, product, and you're looking for uh, for like proper feedback. Like you you want to know who the who the game is for and stuff like that, and that's mm -hmm. really important. Um, that's like uh, this is something that just today I was talking to uh, my co-designer about kind of uh, getting getting negative feedback after a playtest it's like you'd be doing a disservice to to somebody if you give them positive feedback and like yeah and exactly. and it's, it's and actually like don't address those things which you felt like those points where you you, you, you didn't feel the game was doing well and i think it's kind of um just <laughs> uh, i i think in in general just kind of honesty is is a good good approach to to get getting things um getting things out there it, it totally is yeah yeah uh getting the, that negative feedback is really important because uh you want that game to be <laughs> as awesome as possible and uh especially with board games uh in a video game like if there's a bug you, you can't laugh about it and you keep going in a board game it it gets really annoying if there's kind of a, a bug you can explode exploit like mm. some kind of a better option for you or a rule that doesn't make sense, or something that feels kind of um, fiddly uh, when you try to uh, use it. So um, getting that negative feedback, well, constructive feedback, mm. uh, is is really important to improve. Uh, we thought we had a solid game after a year of development, and looking back at, back at what we had at that time, it's complete <laughs> garbage. Um, there's so much you can improve on a game uh, until the point where it gets uh, perfect in the sense that perfect for what you envisioned, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not perfect for everyone, of course. And then finding that market, <laughs> that audience for you for your game is is hard as well, because uh, sometimes it's it's easy. Like you, if you create like a cute animal game, and obviously anyone interested in cute animals will maybe be interested. Mm. If you create a racing game uh then you limit your audience a bunch because <laughs> yeah. not a lot of people like racing games uh but then you you create a racing games with take that like hitting people and stuff so you lose even more people yeah and so uh, for a long time we're struggling to find like who is this game for and the, the truth is this game is for me this game is for people like me who enjoys different uh kind of mario kart wipeout kind of game mm -hmm. uh and don't actually enjoy racing that much in itself uh so it's more of a uh interactive experience for them uh but finding the 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 right communities uh took a long time and at some point something clicked we're like oh Mario Kart, Wipeout, F-Zero, Tron, those kind of guys will like Megapulse. Um, because for a long time, that didn't click, as funny as it may seem. Uh, we were trying to advertise in people that like pure racing, like motor car racing, NASCAR, and all that stuff. Uh, we were trying to advertise in people who like, like sci-fi stuff. 
but then uh, the motor car fans didn't like the futuristic theme, and the uh, sci-fi fans didn't like the racing theme. <laughs> so uh, it's basically a, a racing game for people who don't like racing game, and a take that game for people who don't like take that. Um, and yeah, n- now I think we kind of know who our audience is because the people in the conventions and online who has the biggest smiles when they see our games are the ones that say, hey, is this Wipeout inspired? And we say <laughs> yes. And, and you could just see their childhood memories come, coming back. <laughs> so yeah. now we found it. Yeah, I think one, one thing that you mentioned that is like really, really um, good or that, that's like really important is like every single descriptive word that you add to there is actually cutting people out, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of the, the time you think like more is better and like, and uh, you're like, okay, this is a worker placement with take that with, um, you know, with hand management. And, and you put those like five or six things, but like actually the more things, the, the more you can clean that up and have it like, what are the two main things? Like, um, like right now, for example, like uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak and Dune Imperium, they're both worker placement meets, you know, deck building. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's more memorable than if you had put another two or three things on there to, uh, <laughs> Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that, that that that's really cool that you've you've narrowed it down and you've you're you're finding a, a, a target audience for it. And I think there there definitely should be because, um, because I think the, the game just does an amazing job at what what it is. And it, it I I don't think that um, there is another Mario Kart in <laughs> cardboard form, you know. And uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, also one that like works so well and that you've put so much time into. I, I heard you, you said uh, you thought one year after presenting it to people, you you you're gonna do the Kickstarter, but it, that, yeah. that that's still, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you've put so much work into it and it really really shows. And I hope that um, that it does well. What, what was, um. Actually, what, what was your playtesting process like, and how did you decide on um, the things to cut, and when did you, um, like, how, how how did you grow the game and cut and like um, add stuff in, and, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, what did you look for when playtesting? So uh, basically, I created the game like almost four or five years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and it was just another prototype for me. So. As you create more games as a game designer, you kind of realize that every first iteration of something is kind of crap. Mm. Uh, and you're just trying to find uh, the fun somewhere. You, you try to find like what's exciting, what's uh, cool to play around. Because there are so many ideas one can have that uh, pursuing them to their full extent, um, y- you'll you'll end up like after 10 years experience and only have done two games, uh, which can be good if they're good games, right? But the more, the better when you start. You need to explore a bit. Uh, so for me, it was just uh, another crap prototype. I shelved it uh, for almost a year. But but during that time, um, everyone I played the prototype with kept talking to me about it. It was like, oh, where, where, where's uh, Megapulse coming along? Uh, do, do you have any plans for it? It was really exciting. I want to play again. So it was the first time that uh, people actually remind, remembered one of the many prototypes I, I've had them played, right? There, there was a bunch of games they liked, a bunch of games they didn't like, uh, but this one, for some reason, st- stuck in their mind. Uh, so I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's, uh, I was working hard on another project, um, and I, I was looking for maybe going Kickstarter with the other project, uh, but I, I 
gave that up. I went straight on to Megapulse and I started uh, working on a, I had a cool co-designer at that time who helped me during that part, uh, trying to revamp the game into uh, a more concrete project. Uh, so we spent a few weeks doing that. Uh, we had two or three different versions that didn't work. Uh, we're trying to find how to manage it. So uh, believe it or not, it was not always like a card play, like a simultaneous action selection with these cards. At the beginning, we had like player boards uh, and there were like different actions listed and you could like place cubes to select them. And there was this kind of, um, of uh, I don't know the name in English, but there's there's things that hide your player board, like the, these folding oh, yeah. uh, boards. Uh, yep. <laughs> Uh, I know it's screen. Oh, screen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Screens. Yeah, exactly. So there were screens to hide your stuff. Um, and that felt weird. That didn't work at all. So we switched to the cards. And from that, we implemented mechanic after mechanic. At some point, we presented it in a, a local convention. Here it was a really small convention. We presented to a, a bunch of people. And the feedback was, was really good, really interesting. Uh, and that gave us to the courage to keep working on it because people were getting hyped up. Uh, and then we just added, added, and added at the point where it was too much. Uh, <laughs> and that was our exploration phase, which I think is crucial to explore the different mechanics, explore your ideas. Uh, but you have to know that like almost 80% of all that stuff will be removed at the end. So anything that was not uh, actively like uh, being picked by players, uh, any mechanics that were being raised so many questions on, uh, or the things that were visibly not exciting players we removed them so uh like we had missiles at some point in megapoles you can place the missiles and they move a bunch of spaces each turn because they chase each uh, other players and they blow up like a bomb and that was too much we removed there was some kind of jump and flight mechanic we removed that um so a bunch of stuff were removed just purely based on what was was exciting for players because we wanted the game to feel as cinematic as possible so we wanted players to feel like they are racing to like visualize themselves like when they crash into someone what happens uh when you place a bomb and it blows up like you want to see like in your head that big explosion um so we kept those things that felt like they belonged in the game and then polished them from there so it was all about making things feel good so it was also at that point that we removed the death penalty and gave rewards to players instead, as we talked earlier. Mm -hmm. It was at that point that we make we made everything every card feel feel better. Because right now, if you play a side trust, you move two spaces sideways and one forward. If you place a bomb, you place it and move one forward. If you shoot someone, you shoot and move one forward. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, it was all just shoot people or do something that makes you move yeah not not and allowing <laughs> the game to stall like not 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 stopping the action of moving forward. exactly so now that every card makes you at least move a space or more helps you feel like you're always racing uh and as of before it was choosing between like doing cool stuff like having fun or trying to win mm. <laughs> so we, we tried to match them together and make everything as juicy as a exciting as possible uh and in the playtest process we we had over at this point we have over 200 playtests of the game uh at an average of three players so that's about like 600 people who like tried the game themselves um so there was a bunch of times where we scrapped everything and restarted from scratch trying to like keep the best pieces um 
and we have we ask a lot of questions we ask for constructive feedback things that people don't like rules that are confusing uh things that could be better things that people w were hoping to find in the game and didn't find because if you have a wipeout fan and you tell them that's a wipeout inspired game and they don't have boost pads on the track they're going to be disappointed mm -hmm. so we're trying to find like what's the fantasy of players what are they trying to get out of this like juicy experience and we add that in the game so it was a long process very long process and we had the privilege of taking the time because i have a day job that's a side project for me that's a personal project uh if you're looking for if you're working for a studio or a publisher all that stuff time is money mm -hmm. so uh you have to like rush rush a few things uh so obviously there's always a few different stuff that could have been better but eh. Um, but we work the extra mile to make it as good as possible. Yeah, it sounds like, and uh, I think I told you before we started that I really like those questions that you asked, and it, and it seems like they're they're just really, really good, just really good questions, and to to to, to be able to get that feedback out of people, and I think is mm -hmm. super important, uh, especially what you said now of setting the expectations for the game. I think that is super important because a lot of the times I find people. They, they they try to hype their game right which which i think is good and and you should definitely be trying to do so but sometimes <laughs> yeah. because you set the bar so high for yourself with uh ex explaining or like uh if 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 it doesn't feel like it's going over what you what you talked about then it feels disappointing and it's kind of like that um loss of vision you know almost <laughs> where where, yeah. where i've had that with games like um like for example the first time i played lost ruins of Arnak, i can't say i really enjoyed it too much just because my expectation was set so high because everyone was talking yeah so everyone same thing here i tried it and was like okay that's a good game but yeah like everyone talks about it so, so sometimes like you you would have enjoy, enjoyed the same game more if you were promised less exactly exactly uh, <laughs> and and if you were um the, the, other, the other thing which is like that, that's just over hyping but then on the other hand it's when what are you promising with the way the words that you use to describe the game and like you said, like if, if you're setting expectations for, um, you know, this is this is Mario Kart, and then you present like, I don't know, some, some like Formula One without any like take that or bonus abilities and stuff like that, and it's just not. I, I don't think that's going to appeal to people because they have that expectation of, um, you know, it needs it needs to not only hit that promise which you've made, um, but like I, I think it needs to go a little bit above it, right? Yeah, um, exactly. You have to like deliver their wildest dreams uh if you can and we had the chance to do that because we have a, like a heavily modular game so we can add track tiles we can add like add some upgrade cards you can add all the crazy crazy stuff that people want um and then because it's everything they wish for in such a game and we made sure of, get, of that because we asked every single playtester what were you wishing for in that game right mm -hmm. uh that uh, then when we sell the game we sell the mechanics we sell the feel we sell like the general idea so they're sold on the fantasy and but they're not told exactly what it's going to be and then when they actually play they realize that it's exactly what they want <laughs> like yeah. holy shit i can do that <laughs> that's crazy and you're like yeah hell yeah you can do that so um yeah and that that's all about like giving players uh what they want um but then again like w we had the chance to do that in a in a euro game for example <laughs> it's it's harder to actually deliver on that on the like a, a fantasy promise in a cyberpunk setting um yeah yeah so could you tell me about um 
first of all, what your first, what Gen Con was like for you as a first time presenter? What should people expect if they um, get a booth and want to show their game, or should they invest in something like that if they don't, if they're not completely sure about their game yet? Um, definitely uh, go to smaller conventions if you're not ready yet. I did the. Uh, um, because I, I was working in conventions since I'm like 12 years old. Like I've been like explaining game, games and hosting for different ed editors. I was the small kid that people found cute and <laughs> got to explain their games. Um, and then with uh, Megapulse and other games before, I did a bunch of conventions, smaller ones here in Quebec. Um, and in those conventions, people are less busy and stressed because you you actually have the time to talk with them. So you can do longer play sessions. You can request feedback. Uh, and those are really important because it's people who don't know anything about you. So sometimes uh, they'll try to please you because they don't know you, but sometimes they'll, they'll, they won't be scared to actually give you direct feedback. Uh, and that was really helpful for us uh, doing that. Uh, if you go uh, on Gen Con as a f like a first prototype or something, uh, there's two downfalls. First is that people are really... Um, or stressed they are on a tight schedule because they want to see everything, they want to play everything. Um, and also, uh, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> um, so I, I I can pay like between 40 bucks to 200 bucks for a convention, a small co local convention. Uh, but it costs like several thousand dollars to go to Gen Con as an exhibitor, even for a small booth with just one table. Uh, and then you have to pay for the banners, you have to pay for everything, the game itself, the prototype, uh, and the actually, actually, space, the actually hotel. that <laughs> one, uh, that one table, even I remember when we went to Essence Spiel for the first time, we needed, we didn't realize that we don't have tables and chairs and we yeah. had to go and purchase <laughs> tables and chairs because uh like renting them out is so much more expensive um, yeah gen con was uh, uh cool enough that they they give you they give you one table and two chairs yeah. uh but sn does not do that so you have to pay they, like they've got free parking euros <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. did have free, free parking there <laughs> so uh yeah sn is even more expensive both the booth and like having actual tables and chairs there mm -hmm. uh that uh if you're not planning on doing kickstarter or uh even like going soon into like retail it's not really that <laughs> worth your money uh go to smaller conventions but if you're looking to meet people in the business there's a bunch of publishers there there's a bunch of people um uh looking for new uh new things to add to the catalog um so if you're just an author maybe don't buy a booth but definitely go there and try to like you know talk about people uh hit them up and uh who knows if they're interested in your game maybe you can have a chat and yeah for sure it. actually there's there's something we this year we, we're actually um gonna be in essen uh we're gonna be at the author's workshop which is basically um, where you just show prototypes and mainly to publishers yeah. and i think that's like, very useful and it's very useful and it's like half the price so like and people I, i'm not sure like a lot of people know the option because or that there is an option like that like find Find something, or even I had uh, one person on the podcast who said he w he went to Gen Con with his card game, and he he would sit in Starbucks and show it to like people coming out. <laughs> you know, if if, if nice. your game needs playtesting, you don't need to overpay for like a place that's made for selling your game and for actually like earning that money back. Um, hopefully, you know, if 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 you're just looking for feedback, you can probably um you, there, there, there's many ways that you can get it you know and yeah you can, you can meet people and you, I, I think it's definitely worth it just to even just learn what what the insides of the industry look like you know even even just that like 
Now seeing how hectic it can be, like you said, you know. <laughs> yeah, Pro prototypes are, are are really cool because you don't have to pay that much, and mm -hmm. uh, people expect to see prototypes there. So like, you, you don't have to drag people into your booth and let's say, oh, do you want to play a prototype? And they're like, oh, I'm kind of here for yeah. real games, you know. <laughs> but then uh, the prototype area is just people wanting to try new stuff. Uh, but you don't really have to go to conventions to playtest. Uh, nowadays, you can just, yeah, there's many uh, online groups that you can just hit people up and people in your region, local area can uh, come to you or you can come to them and playtest. Uh, you can actually have uh, TTS as well, Tabletop Simulator. It's really, really useful to do a bunch of playtests. The only thing really great about convention playtests is that you don't have the time to modify the game between each one. Mm. So you playtest the game like 12 or 14 times in the weekend and after that, you get to the time the time to think about what you want to change. And because you saw a bunch of different opinions, you have a way more clear vision of what people want. Sometimes when people do playtests outside of conventions, they have like one week or two weeks between each playtest. And after one playtest, you immediately want to change stuff. Yep. And if you change stuff after each playtest, you don't get the full picture because you only, uh, maybe players had a bad experience, maybe that was not your target audience, maybe like something bugged and they like altered their feedback. Uh, so it can change your game for the worst if you don't take the time to gather more feedback before changing stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Um, and that's something that like right now, um, We've got a game that's exactly in, in those stages of um, having a lot of changes between... Well, actually, for the past month or so, we haven't been making that many changes, but just playtesting it more. But there's definitely always that, that phase where there's going to be a lot of big changes because you're, you still, you know, ha haven't probably found um, what exactly it is, you know, or, like, you're, you're still looking for how to, how to improve, like, major things, you know, and you're okay with, with changing big systems and making them work better. And like some sometimes you know like our our strategy right now with one of our prototypes that's is um, there is two local conventions that we're going to before um, Essen uh, this week and next week and mm -hmm. um, and make those changes in between those and then in Essen we know we'll, you know <laughs> it'll it, it'll it'll be whatever we we, we get to figure out uh, from these mm -hmm. two like if we need need any major changes there but yeah no I think that's such such a good point of. Of of actually testing that same prototype and how that could actually you, you'll learn more about the game in its present state, and that that'll probably help you out. Um, Definitely, yeah. Later on, what are um, like I've got two 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 final questions. What are first of all your plans for the future? Like what what's what would you like to um, do in with, with with board games and with games in general, and mm -hmm. like any other other games that you're planning and um yeah so uh basically um i'll be busy for a while with mega pulls because after the kickstarter uh, comes the big work <laughs> of uh, preparing all the files dealing with manufacturing uh, fulfillment all that stuff so for a while i'll be focusing on that after that uh my partner devon has that uh, punch kick blood game i was talking about which is a really fun casual light card game about mascot doing boxing matches mm -hmm. it's really fun uh it's really simple and uh i we we both really want to work together me and devon in the future so he's helping me on megapulse and then i'll help him on punch kick block so we'll be trying to kickstart that and after that we kind of want to 
uh, see what's next for us. So uh, maybe we move in close to each other. Maybe we do some kind of online <laughs> uh, business thing uh, where we work on our next project, our next board game. And that's going to be something that we'll like work together and make sure it's something we both want. Because uh, uh, co-designing for me is really, really more uh, exciting and easy than solo designing because you have yeah. something to bounce your ideas off. Um, you have something to someone to tell you no yeah, <laughs> when you're doing to you, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and keep cause... it interesting also because otherwise you can get into like loops of um, just yeah, you go into a rabbit hole, right? Yeah. You you, tr you, tr you start to design an idea and you 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 try to test it and again and because you took the time to writing on the card and and cut the cards and having them in your hand makes you think it's now part of the game but actually you're just testing something it's okay to let it go and having someone to let you know when you're going to rabbit hole yeah. when it's when it would be great to explore other options or if a, a just a mechanic has some kind of uh, bug with something else it just doesn't work together uh it's really cool to have someone to uh, as just kind of a first test. If the idea passed through that person, you know it's uh, it's better than if it didn't, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I love to co-design, so I'll be doing, doing some co-design with Devin uh, after that. And at my day job, uh, I'm now kind of lead designer of the, the new game we're working on. We are on the really, really early stages. We just started a few months ago. So uh, I might be like doing that for a year or two. So after that big project, it will maybe uh, be at the same time that me and Devin start uh, <laughs> thinking about like more seriously doing some uh, board games together. Uh, so maybe the stars will align and something great will happen. In the meantime, definitely we'll be uh, delivering Megapulse to people. And I have so many great ideas for Megapulse, so many add-ons that need to be unlocked as stretch goals uh, that if we don't unlock everything or if uh, the fulfillment goes well and I'm ready for something else, might might have some kind of expansion or season two or something of Megapulse and Kickstarter after that. All right, that's awesome. And my final question, which I ask all uh, guests, is what, what would be your advice to somebody who's just starting out in game design? Um, I would say fail a lot um, <laughs> <And fast. laughs> yeah play a lot of games because uh, the more games you play the more um the more you'll you'll know like the the basic mechanics the basic ideas that players have a bunch of games are similar uh when you start playing a lot of them and uh that's gonna be just a toolbox for you uh, a bunch of solutions, a bunch of ways to deal with randomness, a bunch of ways to deal with movement, a bunch of ways to deal with combat, uh, resource gathering, uh, upgrading. And once you know all these uh, mechanics, uh, you will begin to see some kind of things you don't like and mistakes in those games and try to be critical and see why you don't like them and how you can fix them. Uh, Playtest other people's game. Uh, Playtest a lot. Because playing an, uh, a published game is good for your toolbox, but playing an unpublished game with, of another small designer will help you see the game through uh, a critical eye, something that's some, it, it's sometimes hard to do for your own games. So when you play this other people's game and you're like, oh, that's kind of not that great, but there's some kind of great idea behind that, 
uh, try to give great feedback and try to listen to yourself, uh, listen to what you're feeling as you play, uh, and be open and critical for your own games. Change stuff that doesn't work. Don't be afraid of trying to revamp your game from scratch stuff because something that worked before, uh, but going to a rabbit hole, as we talked about, is not good for you. So do a bunch of games. Don't work on the same game. Always work on two different games at the same time. If you're bored on one, go on the other. Uh, and that's basically it. Yeah. Do the design. The more you'll design, the more you'll play, the more you'll be critical about other and your own games, the better it'll become. Yeah, I think I think that's just fantastic, um, fantastic advice. And uh, it sounds it's it sounds like right to me. <laughs> so that that seems to be that just seems seems to be the, the way. So thank you so much for talking to me. Is there any um, links or anything that you want? To... Uh, I'll have them sure, in the uh, description, anyways. But <laughs> so so the, the, depending on uh, when this uh, podcast launches, uh, the we have currently the uh, Kickstarter uh, preview page, so you can subscribe to that. But if you want to subscribe to our website. We can have the link in the description of the, the podcast. But if you want to subscribe to uh, the, the the website, uh, we have we offer like a free expansion for people who subscribe before the Kickstarter. It's a free pilot and a few upgrade cards. Uh, and obviously, if you're excited about the game, join us on Facebook, uh, the Facebook group of Megapulse. We are very active there. We share all our progress behind the scenes, pick of the prototype of the uh, conventions. We talk with people. Uh, so come and say hi. That would be awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me.